Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Lee Ryder and Mark Douglas as we talk COVID-19 and Newcastle United January transfer targets and a little bit about the takeover and much, much more. All that to come on Everything Is Black and White podcast. Hello, welcome to Chronicle Live over on Facebook and on Twitter. Joined, as you can see, by our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder. And as ever, it's been another busy week for Newcastle United. It started with that great win over Crystal Palace on Friday. Plenty of optimism going in to what would have been Aston Villa this uh, weekend. But alas, the game is not going to go ahead because of COVID-19. Lee... Premier League agreed to call off the game or postpone it due to the increase um, in cases at the training ground at Newcastle. Were you expecting the Premier League to to agree to that, um, to call the game off due to COVID-19? Well, I think everybody had the doubts that, you know, it would get called off because if you look at the, if you looked at the rule book, it said that, you know, you need more than 14 players, you know, that are, are suffering from this. Um, and you, you know, there was talk of relying on the under twenty one squad and all that kind of thing, and you know, you from the Premier League's point of view, if they call one off, then you know they're going to have to go case by case. But look, I think common sense has prevailed. It's obviously a big problem behind the scenes in Newcastle. We were very lucky to get that Crystal Palace game up and running, and get it done and get it on and get the three points. I think they've done very well with that. The situation had already started to rear its head in the previous game against Chelsea when there was a backroom staff missing uh, missing an action and for Steve Bruce he's had to, to juggle the squad and it, it probably gets to a stage where you know it's not worth it so it's common sense fair play to Aston Villa I think they've been very um, very sport good sports about the whole thing because they could have pushed this and said no that they've got to take the rules send an under 23 squad down here and we'll play them it would have been an easier way of getting three points but they've been good sports and that thankfully you know as I say common sense prevailed it did remind me of when Middlesbrough called that game off many years ago in the 90s and they end up losing the three points um, so there's you know parallels to, to be drawn to an extent there but this this COVID nineteen situation, the pandemic, it's a totally different ball game um, compared to then, and you know common sense has to take place, and it just makes me wonder about the fact the supporters are, you know, going to be coming back in the games this weekend, and you know we've had a game called off. Uh, it's it's worrying, but we'll see where where we go. This might not be the last game that gets postponed. Hmm. I mean, obviously, there's there's reports that West Brom 
uh, that game might be in doubt. It's frustrating for Newcastle considering how quickly they acted the first time around the lockdown. They were one of the first teams to close down the training ground and they've been right on top of this. Um, do you think that maybe they were, they were surprised at how quickly this has spread around the, the training ground? I mean, obviously we know this virus has caught out you know, the government, let alone a football club, but do you think they've been a little bit taken aback by just how quickly it's spread? Yeah, I mean, look, from from March onwards, it, it, without, you know, being too critical, we, we've been told one thing and then we've moved on to, to something completely different. We're in lockdown one minute. The next minute, we've been encouraged to go to restaurants and bars, spending money, and then back into lockdown. So it's one of them where, for Newcastle United, um they have been on the ball from the beginning. You know, Dr. Paul Carson did a fantastic job um, in, in having Newcastle ready for the, the whole situation. We were the first sort of journalists to be going in the training ground and the dispensers of, um, you know, the hand gel was all laid out for, for everybody. So I think personally, Newcastle being unfortunate here, I do think the international break is probably what sparked it. But we don't know for sure because, you know, then you're delving into confidentiality, where, where it come from, etc. Newcastle haven't named the players at this stage. But for me, in general, generally speaking, the international break didn't help. I know we had to play these UEFA Nations League game, but there was a, a round of friendlies as well before it. And I just thought they were really pointless. International managers will disagree, but in the current circumstances, were those games absolutely essential? I, I don't think they were. When this whole, on another general point, when this whole UEFA Nations League started, it was like, oh, no more meaningless friendlies. But now they're having a friendly to warm up for these games. So from going from meaningless friendlies, you're now having to play three games in an international break. It's too much for the players in general. And I, I don't think that has helped anybody. No, I agree. I'm not a big fan of internationals as it is, but I couldn't understand players being carted off, you know, halfway around the world for friendly games. In terms of football, and obviously, you know, people's health is much more important. So the right decision to call the game off, we wish whoever has contracted the virus a speedy recovery. It is frustrating, though, given that Newcastle played or it didn't play amazingly well against Crystal Palace, but a very good result. Uh, we saw Joe Linton have a really good game, arguably his best in the Cast United shirt. There was foundations to build on and they would have looked at Villa, you know, they've lost four of the last five, thinking there's three points to be had. And then they're running into this, you know, run of games ahead of the Brentford quarterfinal. It is frustrating because uh, momentum is key here, isn't it, going into the into that Brentford quarterfinal? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, you need to be in the right place in terms of results um, going into it, but... The, the bigger picture for Newcastle had they got something at Aston Villa do they beat West Brom then all of a sudden they're halfway to 20 points you know before Christmas um, and after only 12 games so they're well on course for not only staying up and getting to the magic 40 points uh, as everyone likes to call it but um, they would have laid the foundations for a solid uh, solid second half of the season so yeah it's, it's disappointing for them but you know they can't 
if they've got six, seven, eight players, and that, we don't know exactly how many we've got at the minute, but if it is, if it is that amount, then you've got to look at it. Newcastle haven't got strength and depth to field a reserve team capable of playing in there. You know, you've seen Liverpool in recent years play a full team of promising under-23 teams and win in a proper FA Cup game. I think it was against Everton and a couple of others. So Newcastle just haven't got that strength and depth. There's probably two or three youngsters who could come in and perhaps do a job. Look how cautious they've been with Elliot Anderson. They're, they're like almost frightened to, to put him in at the wrong time. But like Liverpool can make a, le- a raft of 11 changes from their reserve team, but Newcastle can't do that. That would have been a disaster had, had they had to you know, force a team to make a team sheet from what was available. And it just shows you that, you know, overall as a club, Newcastle are still building in terms of having that having the strength and depth to to really, really challenge um in the Premier League. And I guess part of the answer to the next question, it'll probably be something like it's a day by day basis. It's is the West Brom game in your opinion in doubt? Um, obviously, they'll be testing players regularly. Um, but looking ahead to that West Brom game, do you think it, there's a chance it, it might not go ahead? It's got to be a possibility. As we speak now, it's you know, well, we're halfway through Wednesday now. The training ground's shut. Um, the training ground would need to be open for business on Monday morning. And Newcastle would have to have enough players that have served self-isolation and enough players that aren't shown symptoms have been tested and are, are clear so there's a lot of there's a lot of factors there to play with and I personally think that it, at, at the minute yeah it's got to be classed as a, a doubt um, they, they, they can't go back into work until they know that the majority of the squad are completely clear from this uh, there's a couple of players in pre-season that we believe had this same problem and we didn't see them for quite some time. So they need to, to as I say, get clear and get everyone tested and yeah, get get the training on over business. Will it be by Monday morning? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, it really could knock their season back a bit. I mean, not being on the training ground and working on, on things, you know, building on that platform, that Palace game, even if they do get back in next week, you know, you, you've lost it. You, you've lost a few days, but in the grand scheme of things, that could actually be quite detrimental to, to the season and set it back a few weeks. And again, that Brentford game's on the horizon. Well, yeah, I think you mentioned the word momentum earlier, and that is that is a huge factor in all this. And you know, spirits would have been high going into the the Villa game, uh, and certainly, if you're not looking forward to, to taking on a struggling West Brom team at St James Park then you know you're not going to be looking forward to anything so there's a real potential for four or six points in these next two games so that that's going to be a, a, an interesting um, one to watch when they do come back what type of mood are they going to be in uh, and what physical condition because you know once you stop playing and once you stop training as the players will tell you that during the first lockdown when they were like training in the garages and you know running around the gardens and stuff like that, it, it's no, it's 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 completely different to training every day 
with your teammates and you know taking things on board so they've got a they have to make sure that uh, that they're physically in the right place so it's all it's almost like they might have to have a little bit of a fitness reboot work when they return mm, definitely um, just a little mention before we get on to some transfer news about the FA Cup draw uh, the club wishfully originally posted that was Barnsley unfortunately it was Arsenal um, of course Arsenal not having the best um, season themselves so far what do you make of that FA Cup draw? It, it couldn't have got much harder for Newcastle to be totally honest um, you know had it been Man City or Liverpool that would have been slightly harder Man United but this is this is as tough as it gets against the holders as well um, but there, you know it's not impossible for Newcastle to go down there and get a result uh, Arsenal have shown some weaknesses this season that they're involved in European competition so this game will come on the back of a hectic Christmas period for both teams we don't know how they're going to shape up um, Newcastle have done well in the League Cup so far this season they could be going there as semi-finalists in the League Cup we, we don't know yet um, so it's an opportunity to, to go down there and play with the pressure off because no one's expecting Newcastle to get anything down there you could go down there play with a bit of freedom Steve Bruce doesn't need to worry about goal difference so maybe the front foot football that we've been talking about maybe they can go down there and impose some of that and for someone like say Maximan who likes to you know lift the team for these big games it's a real opportunity at the Emirates Stadium where it's um, it's usually it's usually a quiet atmosphere anyway at Arsenal for some reason I don't know why since they moved to that ground there's not much of an atmosphere so it won't be too much different in, in that in that sense so it's look you can't you can't write them off. We're not expecting miracles down there, but you know it's 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 a tough draw. But we all, to be fair, we played Arsenal a few times in the FA Cup um, in the sort of last sort of twenty years and haven't got a result. So maybe this, maybe we owe them one on this one. Well, certainly will be an interesting game. Just to finish up, then bit of a, a transfer exclusive to the On Chronicle Live from Lee um, Newcastle tracking a Manchester United youngster ahead of January can you just tell our viewers and our listeners a bit more about that story I mean it's Brandon Williams from Man United who's only played a handful of games uh, an immense talent from Man United's academy uh, played against Newcastle under 23s not this season the one before and he was the best player on the park by a mile he just looked head and shoulders above every single player so he's one of those players where he needs game time he's not getting there Man United they blocked a, a move from Southampton to sign him earlier in the season around the transfer deadline um, and now he's become available again Newcastle obviously cottoned on to the fact that he might be up for grabs as a loan so they've, they've scouted him they've had a look at him they'll know a lot about him anyway because of Steve Bruce's Man United connection so it's one it's one to watch there's no guarantees but certainly Brandon Williams um, is a player that would he would bring something to Newcastle and unlike the average loan signing I don't think he'd be banging the door down if he didn't play 
he would obviously compete for a place and he would come in and out of the team and I think it would be a good signing personally and obviously they've got the loan option but uh, they still haven't used it yet so we'll see where we, we go with that one do you think that's their focus for January is that loan deals will probably come ahead of, of permanent transfers I don't think you can rule out a permanent deal for, for anybody but it would have to be obviously on Newcastle's business terms which is you know as we've seen if there's a deal to be done that they think can be of value for them in the future then they, they'll, they'll take it but then you know, you look at someone like Callum Wilson, that deal was there for them, 20 million. It's been a rip-roaring success so far. So hopefully he can um, continue that form. And if Newcastle can build a couple of loan players around him or, you know, as I say, bring in a, a permanent, uh, there was a couple that they missed out on last summer. Um, there's also the fact that they'll be out of contract players going in the second half of the year that they can start negotiations with. So, they're definitely going to be in and around a few deals but the loan market would offer them that stability to just get that job done in the second half of the season and uh, we'll, we'll see where they go from it but they're, cer- they're certainly going to be busy there's no doubt about that Just finally a few questions as always about the takeover does Mike Ashley's legal action against the Premier League do you think that affects what happens in January in the transfer market or do you think there's it's separate you know he's still going to say okay he has X amount and whatever happens with the takeover you know doesn't really affect what's in what's in the pot or what does it uh, I think just with the way football is at the moment with the pandemic and certainly for Newcastle in tier three now can't get the fans back can't even get 2,000 fans back to the door the revenue is is something that you'd be keeping a a close eye on and he's never been he's never been shy in saving money so I can't see why he would splash out huge amounts but doesn't mean they won't spend money because as I say if there's deals to be done um, it doesn't really affect the takeover too much because he can adjust the price and adjust the conditions any way that he wants so it's one where I, I wouldn't spend too much time sweating over the takeover not going through because they've got to get on with the job in hand which is running Newcastle United and then you know when that money's on the table then you can worry about uh, how much the club's worth and just finally a question to finish off from one of our viewers on Facebook Lee who would be your ideal realistic choice for a January signing that's from Mark Evans well, you, you look around the transfer market in the summer and Newcastle were linked heavily with uh, Callum Wilson, but they also had a good look at Josh King uh, at, at uh, Bournemouth. So Josh King is, is heading towards his contracts running down now. Depends where Bournemouth are going to be in and around the championship playoff picture. But if he became available for a knockdown fee, then to add him to your ranks in attack knowing he's got the understanding with Fraser um, knowing he's got the understanding with Wilson I, I think it would be a no-brainer to bring Josh King in um, he's certainly only at Bournemouth because he didn't get a move uh, he's definitely going to be leaving in the summer and I would expect Newcastle to be interested in a possible 
free transfer, but if you could get him for a, a knockdown fee and Bournemouth take that money and invest it into a player that can help them finish their season, I think he would be... You, you mentioned the word realistic there, and I think that would be a realistic one. Just before we talk and cast United with Mark, we just want to chat about something really important that we all hope you can get on board with. Thursday marks International Day of People with Disabilities and BT have launched a massive campaign called the 433 Strategy to Increase Awareness of Power and Disability Football. It's a partnership with the Home Nations FA and nothing like this has ever been done uh, in the history of UK football. The idea is to raise awareness and increase national support with people in our region like Bev and John Challoner down at Spennymore FC. Now, putting aside the fact that Bev is a Sunderland fan, the pair are doing great work in the community and are part of BT's 433 strategy. John already coaches, but the pair are looking to set up a disability team at the club as well. Um, you know, the idea is that the sport is open to everybody. Mark, it's a great cause, isn't it? I mean, football shouldn't have any barriers at all. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, football is, a, 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 you know, a lifeline for so many people and, and it's such a, I think it's an absolutely uh, terrific cause and, um, you know, I really congratulate BT on on doing it. And, and, you know, what's really great is that there are people across the region who put their time into grassroots sport in this way and, um, you know, it, it means so much to people. I know, um, it's such a great campaign. No, 100%. And it's great to be able to promote it. You can use the hashtag Discover Disability Football to find out more um, or head over to www.bt.com forward slash home nations. Now, Mark, Newcastle United, another busy week for journalists and fans to keep on top of. We'll start with the COVID-19 situation. We've spoken to Lee previously in the show. Um, but rather dramatic and kind of, yeah, I mean, no one kind of saw it coming. The Premier League agreed to go in the game. The good news is that Newcastle won't have to forfeit the points. Um, but what a situation to find themselves in. Yeah, I mean, it was clear. Um, it was pretty clear, I think, at the back end of last week that things were things were pretty bad uh, in the run-up to the Crystal Palace match. Newcastle didn't really, didn't really uh, emphasise it too much. Then, but they're obviously without three first team players, which is quite a lot. And they're not the first Premier League team to be missing key players through COVID, and, and you know, probably won't be the last. I think the problem was that by Sunday it was clear that there were more positive tests. And by Monday, um, we'd been told it was effectively, you know, a very, very serious situation. Public Health England had been notified by that point. Training ground had been closed, probably won't be open again for a few more days yet. I'd be surprised if we if it opens again before the uh, before the weekend. Um, which obviously then has implications for the next the next week and, and the West Brom game as well. But a very serious situation. And at times like this, you just have to say, look, there's more important things than football. The Premier League made it clear, I think, at the start of the season that they wouldn't be um, postponing games based on um, coronavirus positive tests. But I think this has been the first proper test of their of their strategy. You know, it, other other clubs have had one or two positives uh, and and sort of players and, and staff members. As well, but this is the first time you know a, a first team has really, I mean, basically been a breakout at Newcastle United's training ground, which is it's just, just terrible. You can't force Newcastle to play in those circumstances. Obviously, it's bad for the it's bad for the players, of course, of course anyway. But it's just not safe. So uh, it was the right decision, um, but just uh, you know, just a real shame that it that it's happened. And, and you know, we hope 
that all the players and their families are, are okay because you know above and beyond football we all talk about football and yeah, let's not dehumanize the, these guys um, and their families you know if it was the, if it was any of us understandably concerned for relatives who were vulnerable so you know let, let's uh, let's think about that so frustrating given uh, a that they played really or they got a good result against Crystal Palace so they'd want to build on that we spoke with Lee about momentum going in towards that quarter final in the League Cup but more than that just the fact that Newcastle have kept on top of you know containing the virus stopping it getting into the dressing room stopping it getting the training ground they were one of the first to close training ground down the first time around you know they've done a lot of hard work and it's it's unfortunately it has crept in and it's disrupted this part of the season yeah, I think I think you've got to remember that the, um, the, the Newcastle did, like you said, they were the first ones to, to put the training ground down. They banned handshakes pretty early on. And they were working with Orico, the, um, the firm based in Galway in Ireland, on a on a COVID app very early on to, to log um, log symptoms. So they've been, tried to be on top of it. But I think the problem is, and we don't know where this where the, where the outbreak come from, but um, the fact that Newcastle had a few players go away on international duty and then. The week after, um, or you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks after, there is there is an outbreak. Um, you know, that, that's obviously something I think they'll probably be, they'll probably be looking at, and it just highlights the idiocy I think of those international games. And they shouldn't be being played during a pandemic. It's not friendlies, and, and the Nations League is nothing more than a more, more than a friendly tournament, in my opinion. Anyway, it's it's not it's not a serious tournament. Those games shouldn't have been played. Um, they obviously, what's interesting, obviously, we don't know too much about the circumstances of what happened because. We have to respect medical confidentiality. And I've seen a few people on Twitter kind of speculating on the identities of the players who've got it. Um, you know, you can probably see who's got it by, you know, or, or people speculate about who's got it by, based on who wasn't involved on, on Friday. But I really think it's important not to do that. And, not, and you know, the reason, I know a lot of people say, well, why aren't you naming the players? Why aren't the club naming the players? Medical confidentiality in this case is, is absolutely paramount. We, we wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do it over over something, um, you know, I think we've seen it before. Like when you find out about people testing positive, generally they've declared it themselves. So that's important. But, um, but yeah, I mean, questions as well. Uh, one thing I would say, um, right at the start of the pandemic, um, Steve Bruce himself said that, you know, the training ground's quite... You know, it's, it's the layout of it. It's you know, it's one of the older training grounds in, in, in the Premier League, which we all know. And he did say there was a problem with kind of getting air through it at times because it is how it, how it is set out. So you know, again, it's something to think about in terms of that much needed training ground overhaul. But I don't think in this case that that's the um, that's the sole sole reason. Obviously, and and you know, you don't want to kind of use this, which is a really unfortunate uh, thing, to um, bash. The only, it's not about that. This isn't about that. It, it could have happened. It could have happened anywhere. You know, it, it happened at the Houses of Parliament. It's happened everywhere. Um, so Newcastle is just unfortunate here, and I and I feel for the people at the ground who've, um, you know, the training ground who've put a lot of work into trying to prevent this kind of thing. So, how do you think Steve Bruce will be managing his team through this week? Obviously, looking ahead to the West Brom game, that may itself be in in doubt. But how do you think Steve Bruce will be? keeping in touch with will it be kind of a WhatsApp and what have you and just how does he keep the players focused for that game against West Brom which is an important game and you know one that you'd say you know they, they probably should win yeah I think I think they'll be you know they, they obviously had training programs before when they're working from home it's not ideal you know at this point in the season a lot of the work that you do in, in the run up to games is shape tactics team meetings I think 
you just have to accept it in the next few days that we do some stuff remotely i'm sure but you can't prepare in the same way you would have prepared for um for, for a normal game you can't get everybody in the same meeting room i think there'll be um they'll all have individual fitness um sessions because players who are self is players who are isolating and players who aren't feeling well there'll be, there'll be one or two of them i'm sure who, who who aren't feeling well you'd think in a big outbreak like this but they're not gonna be able to do work so it, the ramifications of this are much bigger than just the villa game being off i think it has a knock-on implication for the next, uh, next few weeks not just as the preparation hit but also you know we hope that the players who've um, who've contacted virus feel better as soon as possible um you, know, you don't know how long it's going to take them to, to get over it. it is quite a nasty virus so you just hope that the players are going to be going to be fit enough to play and resume training um but it's um it's far far from ideal and and it does you know it, they're running into a really busy period of games they've got west brom coming up uh the league cup quarter final and then they go into the christmas program in three and a half weeks is it three and a half weeks that they're into a christmas program which is you know is as, as bad as um, in terms of fixture congestion as, as any I can remember because they are going to play you know those those uh, Saturday Wednesday games it's worse in the EFL um, I would be more concerned if you had the Saturday Wednesday games um, but the one good thing is Newcastle are in a position of sort of relative strength with relation to to the bottom three you know that, that was something that we were concerned about at the start of the season whether they'd be down there they haven't been in in any kind of danger since the season started because they're picking up enough wins again on Saturday on Friday so they picked up a win so as much as we are concerned that it's going to have an impact on it's just at least they're not you know, at least they're not going into that Christmas period desperate for points like they were like they were two seasons ago when you were really worried about, about where the next points were coming from Is it easier to deal with in a way because they beat Crystal Palace and it was a good win if you kind of forget the 80 minutes that went before it, it was an excellent win, good three points. Is it easier to be in the situation and dealing with it um, and training in your garages and your gyms and whatever back at, back at, in the house and not being together as a group than it would be had they been thumped off Crystal Palace, do you think? Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, the, the, the good thing is they've, they've, they won that game. They won it. They won it. Um, you know, they, it was a real nip and tuck game. It, it, that's a great example, I think, Friday of, of how... The result is, you know, why managers like Steve Bruce will will play football like he's been playing this season. Because um, I remember Steve McLaren picking up uh, picking up about I think it was three points out of twelve um, in the season that they got relegated and playing well in a lot of those games. You know, Norwich, um, Sunderland in the derby they actually dominated Sunderland in the derby even with ten men um, for, for long periods and, and he didn't get anything from it. Um, and the, the team were just you know team were miles away. The thing thing with Friday was they, they didn't necessarily play I think they were better they were much better than they had been um, in, in previous weeks they, they, they did a lot more but it was really even wasn't it I mean and actually you could say Palace before the goal was, were, were edging the game but, but Newcastle won the match changes the narrative totally Newcastle are suddenly once again back to winning ways they've got a, they've got a, a run of games that you'd hope they could pick some more points up at so it does it does change the narrative it makes it easier for them because um, you know they, they will have that that forward momentum and you know that the players the players will feel a lot better for, for how they've played they've had two shocking performances really um, before then um, and you know you, you, there were so many difficult questions being asked I think before then and we, we know Steve Bruce isn't going to get fired we know that he's doing the job that the hierarchy asked him to do so that I, to me was a non-debate but it becomes harder and harder 
when the team aren't playing well. They, they, they played really well on, on Friday um, in the last minutes. And in the first half, I thought they were the better team as well. So, um, so just I think what it shows is, you know, everybody kind of like, I read, I read a few people say, you know, what a club, Newcastle, they're up one week, they're down next week. Actually, it's fairly boring this season. You know that when they play the top six, they're going to play a certain way. They might pick up a few points, but they're not going to be better than the top six in those games. They're not going to play an expansive game against the top six. What they are going to do, um, what they are going to do is beat the teams in and around them. They are better than teams at the bottom and they are um, as good as, if not better than teams in the middle of the table as well. So um, they're not going to be in any relegation trouble this season. We hope they can get into the semi-final of the League Cup, but it's fairly be a middle of the road this season, which which when we asked about progress, it's not the progress, it's not the quantum leap forward that we wanted. Maybe it's progress from three years ago when they were in a relegation. They're not going to be in a relegation battle this season. Um, and I think you've got Callum Wilson to thank for that, to be honest, because I think he's been a massive difference already. Oh, 100%. Let's talk about some changes to the transfer window then because of Brexit. Um, a lot of discussion coming on the back of what's going to happen come January with a winter window and that's going to be a points-based system And um, when it comes to signing players. And I guess the standout mark uh, for me, I don't know about you, is the fact that they can't sign any foreign players under the age of 18, which is, is, is a big thing. And what do you make of that and anything else that stood out with these new rules that are set to come and play next month? Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, it's, it's a major change for, for, for the English game. And, and I think it won't necessarily have a direct impact on the sort of business that Newcastle have been doing since, I think, in two, if this was 2015, you'd be, you'd be worried if you were Graham Carr, let's put it that way, because you'd be, you'd be sort of thinking, right, well, my kind of whole model is based on picking up players that, that nobody else is kind of looking at. The problem is going to be the knock-on impact on the Premier League. So if, for example, um, you can't pick up your your kind of under 16s clubs in the Premier League are going to be the big ones are going to be looking at other ways of, um, of of picking up players. It might mean there's a big competition for the sort of middling players. But when you look at the criteria, um, if you're in a, um, I think it's a band one competition, which is Syria, um, La Liga, Ligue 1 and the Bundesliga, uh, and you need 15 points to get an automatic um uh, visa basically or your automatic endorsement by the by the Premier League so if you play for, for a club in any of those leagues you're automatically on 12 points then if you play games for those teams you get depending on how many games you've played for those teams in the previous season you get a certain number of points as well so if you play like 90 to 100 percent you get 12 points and actually 24 points you're over you're over the threshold of 15 points which is what you need to get that automatic threshold so Really, if you're signing a player who plays in any of those leagues, it's not going to have a massive impact. You're going to get the player. You're going to get the player, basically. And that's generally where Newcastle have been shopping in the last four or five seasons. I mean, look, they've got some maximum from Ligue 1. Um, you'd look at Dubravka, who's obviously at Sparta Prague, but he's an international. So you get, he's an international for a um, country that's ranked in the top 20, I think. So therefore, um, he gets 12 points for that because he's played. 90% of games. So most of the players that Newcastle have signed are um, would be fine. And I think most of the players that they'd be looking at would be would be fine as well. It might be the, the Vilkas of this world. They might not be seeing any more of them. And the big one that obviously they, would have, they, they wouldn't be able to sign now, they did sign at the time, would, would be Iosi Perrin because he came from the lower leagues in Spain 
um, and was signed as a sort of no, no risk player. I mean, some of those punts that Newcastle have taken in the recent years, I don't think they're going to be able to do that anymore. You know, Kevin and Babu uh, coming from um, Servette in Switzerland, that's not that's not going to happen um, in in the future. You know, he, he, you won't be getting him in. Um, I think the lads from I think of, of one or two others that they've brought in. You know, all of those players. I think that's not going to happen. You mentioned the, the under sixteen. Newcastle haven't brought anybody in under eighteen really. I can think of that majorly uh, in recent years, and the ones that they have haven't haven't done it. Uh, but it's going to be bad for, for for bigger clubs. What's interesting is you know there's obviously now um, players in Africa, South America, Asia, North America all treated it the same as EU players. So it makes it easier to sign them because they'll get um, endorsement. You know, I, I, I've got to say from a position of of kind of you know look without knowing really. I mean, none of us know yet what impact Brexit's going to have on our everyday lives. So um, from a position of total uncertainty, I think actually quite well with these rules. It, you would hope that it, it wouldn't have a massive impact, but it, but it will, you know, I've kind of called it a transfer revolution today in one of the pieces. And, and, and I think it will, because it'll force you to do things in a different way. And you'll have to look at, you know, you'll have to look at players in South America, Asia, Africa, those kind of things. It'll be a different way of doing things. And the, the key thing will be who adapts best to it. Newcastle, I think, didn't adapt very well to um, the the uh, first big TV deal, which leveled the financial playing field. Um, they didn't they didn't react very well to that at all um, because then they were suddenly competing. Suddenly, they, the the advantage that they had over the likes of Leicester, West Ham, other teams, they, they lost that overnight because the, everybody had the same amount of money. Uh, they didn't react very well to that. They ended up going down that year. I think they've adapted a bit better to the COVID situation. You know, they've They've signed players, ready, ready-made players, and improved themselves at the back of that. And that's why they're not battling relegation because they went out and signed Callum Wilson, who scored six goals. It's the difference between them being a struggling team and a team in mid-table. Um, so they just need to do more of that, really. I think the the, the idea of signing players for profit, um, you know, it, it's probably could still happen, but it's going to be harder if, um, if if you're not allowed to sign as many foreign players, and if you're only getting with governing body endorsements but it doesn't look to me from first glance as if it's necessarily going to stop Newcastle from doing anything they have been doing the last few years there you have it and then just to finish off as always on the takeover in the notebook over the weekend Mark you you wrote that uh, the would-be buyers are still planning um, you know just in case their pressure Mike Ashley's legal action does force through the decision we're all hoping it does. Can you just tell our listeners a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, so the, so the situation at the moment is that the, the group, the consortium who, who are part of, uh, who are looking to buy Newcastle United have, I think still, they're still, they're still in contact with the club. They're still in contact with each other, you know, all the different consortium partners and the, and the management team, you know, they're not, it's not the same frantic pace of planning that there was in the summer when it looked like the deal was going to happen, but they're, they're still there because they still have that confidence that this deal is going to go through. Now, confidence is, you know, was the buzzword of the summer, wasn't it? So I think we all know that it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. What it does mean is that you know, they're ready to go. They haven't gone anywhere. I, I, you know, it's, it's a message that, that's been there from the, the start of the whole process of, uh, you know, I, I think this is the kind of almost 11 months since um, since the, the first story broke, isn't it? Sort of, sorry, yeah, 11 months since, since the story first broke. They've always been adamant that they've got a plan and they're ready to go. Um, and and that, that hasn't changed. You know, there, there are still, 
still things that they're looking at, still deals. I mean, the, the people that are involved with this bid are, are football people anyway. So it might just be that they're, you know, that they, they know people, they've got the contacts there, they've put, they've put the feelers out in the summer. And it's very much a case, look, if this happens, would this, would, if X happens, could Y happen? And, you know, I, I've said all along now, actually, they're in a better position now for if the um, transfer logjam, uh, sorry, the taker of the logjam ends, because we all know where we stand a little bit more post-COVID world. We're getting through it a little bit more. Um, and a lot of the uncertainty that we had um, in, um, in April, May, June, about when things were going to when things were going to change is gone now. So they can plan a little bit more. That uncertainty, the economic and commercial uncertainty that they were, um, they were the PIF actually mentioned when they um, when they left uh, when they when they left the room has, has kind of gone. I mean, better, the economic situation got better, but we know now what football's what the, the landscape of football is going to look like. We know probably what Newcastle's financial picture is as well, and um, you know, so that they've got they've got that in the back of their mind. You know, just coming to the January transfer shortlist doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily take over the club, but it does show, I think, that, that there's a real belief within that group that um, eventually they will they will get their hands on Newcastle United. That belief's always been there. So whether it can be whether it can be changed or not, I don't know. Um, but but I thought it was quite interesting, and there's clearly still a massive appetite on trying to get all this deal. Uh, they know that as well, and I think you know I think that has that has impacted their thinking as well. I think if they were, if they felt like they'd been forgotten and the whole deal had been forgotten, uh, and nobody was, you know, nobody was interested anymore, it'd be harder for them to sort of justify and, and point to the, the major backers of this this takeover, the PIF, that, that, that um, you know, look, keep going because the, the fact that there's still overwhelming support on Dine's side for this move, I think, it's definitely been noticed by the powers that be. You know, the, the fan action that goes alongside it. Look. That may be doomed to failure in terms of actually practical difference, but it certainly sends a message to them. Um, and you can see from the social media activity of the people involved with consortium that they're, you know, they're encouraging it, if not, if not overtly backing it, but with money and um, money in their own time, they are, they are, you know, they're certainly implicitly behind that action. And it's, it's all sort of keeping things boiling a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think I said deny it when we first talked about this months and months and months. Well, we are a few months into it now. So um, if the lawyers can kind of like get um, arbitration on uh, on track as soon as possible, then um, then, you know, we could we could see some movement. But we've been saying that for a long time because, it, because it's a confidential process. I just can't say definitively it's, it's happening here. It's happening there. But um, still one to watch. I, I've said that on this podcast how many times um i don't think it's going to have an impact on this season I, I i think the january transfer wish list might not it might not happen in time for that because you'd be talking 29 days um which doesn't doesn't feel like long in this whole never-ending saga um but of course then you've got 30 31 days in january as well for, so there is, you know there's it's time for it, for it to be done and, and i can understand why when you've made these meticulous plans, and, and believe me, the business plan they came up with had was very, really meticulous. It had numbers, it had planning, it had what they were hoping to do in one year, two years, five years. So they've put a lot of time and, and effort. I can understand them not wanting to give it up. Um, you know, let's just hope that in 2021 we are talking about it and we're talking about it as having happened rather than you know just keeping an eye on it and hoping that something will happen in the um in the in the kind of uh 
not the courts, is it? But it's the uh, the rooms that these decisions are made. So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening.